from what I understand, worker productivity this past week in the state of Kentucky was probably at an all-time low. And I, I think <clears throat> that largely because Kentucky had two ball games in the middle of the day, and, and nobody, if they had a job in Kentucky that was Kentucky fan, nobody was working. They were sneaking to watch the games. I know none of you did that, but sneaking to watch or listen to the ball games or track it on the Internet or whatever. And I, and there was, there, I, I know there was tremendous, uh, there was tremendous confusion on your part on Thursday. There had to be because Louisville and Kentucky play at the same time. What game are you going to watch? I mean, it, it, I know you, you're thinking, my goodness, how, how am I going to make this decision? What? I, and I know that you, that you tuned in to the right game. I know you did. I know you tuned in to the, to the team that was, was moving forward. I know you did. But anyway, but uh, you didn't? I guess not. All right. So anyway, but you know, this, this time of year is obviously a fun time and, and, that, and, and people not doing their work. I remember when I was in school and and, and in high school, and we used to always bug the teachers this time of year, turn on the ball game, turn on the ball game, you know. And they, I think some of them really weren't supposed to, but, but you hoped that your afternoon class was with one of the coaches. You know, that's what you hoped because the coaches would turn the ball game. They didn't care what was going on. They, you know, they, they were going to watch the game because that was what they did, you know. And then when I was teaching in high school, I was a coach. And so my kids loved me. We watched every ball game we'd get on, you know, and I wasn't supposed to. In principal, somebody walked in and turned off real fast, that kind of deal, you know. But, but anyway, it's a fun time of year. And, and this past week, obviously, with the tournaments and all going on, and, and I know many of you probably got into watching the games and all. And, and at the same time, you know, this past week, I, I, if you follow the news at all, you know that not only is it a sort of an entertaining, fun time, if you're a college basketball fan, but it was a it was a tragic time this past week. Uh, a lot of things happening across the world, across our country, uh, different shootings and crazy stuff going on. I'll be honest with you, I, uh, this has nothing really nothing to do with with a sermon. Uh, that kind of stuff just just bothers me to no end. Uh, it really does. And maybe maybe I should should rise above. But I tell you, this was a tough week, and 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 none of it really affected me personally. I didn't know anyone in any any particular news events, but i just be honest with you, stuff like that just really burdens me. It really does. It just sort of weighs me down. And I guess spiritually and emotionally, just sort of, when I hear of, of the thing down in Alabama where, where, you know, a man just goes on a rampage, and, and I just think, why? You know, it just doesn't make any sense. And, and, and then, of course, last Sunday with the, the pastor in the middle of a sermon, you know, gunned down by someone, it just doesn't make sense. And then the, the, the school shooting in Germany, uh, just doesn't make any sense. And then this morning, I read where a family in, in Florida, there were four killed, and and, and including the, the the guy himself. And I just think, what on earth is going on? I, it just becomes obvious and very plain to me that we we live in a very broken world. If if you didn't know that already, then obviously the the week's events make it very clear. We just live in a broken place. It's full of sin. It's full of of just evil. It's just a broken, broken world. And and we also live in a world full of broken people. That, that's very obvious. You, you obviously can have disdain and hatred and revenge and, and so on toward those people who, who do evil things. But we just realize if we, if we pull back and get some perspective, they're just broken, broken people. And, and we also live in a world that's full of broken relationships. I mean, think about the, the, uh, 
the particular shootings involving the man who, who killed many of his family members, involving the student who went to school and began to, to shoot, I, just relationships that were broken. And, and I don't have all the reasons, and I can't explain to you why all that happens, but I just know that probably somewhere along the line, a broken person experienced lots of broken relationships, which led eventually maybe to something like that coming out. I, it just it bothers me, and, I, and oftentimes, maybe you're this way, maybe you're not, but I just feel powerless. Just think, what on earth can we do? I mean, it just that kind of stuff just seems to happen. What do you do about it? And and so, I wonder often, is there anything at all that we can do? I think the Lord has a sense of humor. We, by the way, we we have a new microphone. It's going to be on the way. I was hoping we get through one more Sunday, one more, maybe not. But anyway, if you haven't been here for the last couple of weeks, you'll know that this is a recurring theme, that the microphone pops, everybody jumps, and I have to go back behind the pulpit. Okay, that's, that's the way that it works. And so, anyway, if it does it again, I'll go back there. But, uh, but you know, it is. It's, a, it's been a tragic week highlighting the fact that we just live in a, a broken world full of broken people that experience broken relationships over and over and over again. And, and I, I realize that today, that, that and, and my prayer this morning, honestly was that God would bring people today who, who really who are in some broken relationships that need to be restored and need to be healed and need to be set free. And, and I, I, again, typically when I pray for things like that, I don't have anyone in particular in mind. I'm not praying necessarily for this particular person to show up because God, you know, and we all know, they, they need some help. You know, let's, let's get them here. That's not what I'm praying. I just say, God, what, the people that show up today, now, the, the folks that, that are here today, God, may we experience your freedom. That's been my prayer. I really believe that, uh, that through this whole series that we've been looking at on the book of Galatians, Life Without Chains, I really believe that, that God's desire through this is to set us free, to really relate to Him properly and to relate to others properly. Last week, we, we, at the end of the service, we just spent a moment praying for those of us who, who seem to be battling this this internal war all the time of what's going to win? Is it going to be my sinful nature that's going to win out or this, this me following God's Spirit? And, and we, we just battle that, it seems, over and over. And, and many of you last week, as I asked you just in, in confidentiality to, to glance up and say, you know what, that's the prayer I need. I need, to, I need to win this battle. Many people just gave that glance. I pray that this week has been one of victory and one of freedom for you. And, and today, as we look at God's Word quickly today, we're going to hopefully see God set us free in our relationships. Many of us today smile and nod and, and say all the right things, but behind the scenes, whether they be in our homes or extended families or friends or work or wherever it is, we experience a lot of broken relationships that cause tremendous pain. And they cause tremendous confusion, and they set us back. Maybe you came today, and you are in the midst of a broken relationship. Maybe between you and, and, and a child. Maybe between you and, and one of your kids. It's just things are not right. Maybe between you and, and your spouse. You, you, you'd be surprised, I think. I think we all would at, at how many people whose marriages are just holding on by a thread. And, and yet we come every single week to church and, and, and we try to do the best we can. But maybe we don't know. There, maybe there's somebody today who says, you know, my marriage is just, is just on a thread. Maybe you've been married a long time, maybe not at all. But you just say, I'm barely hanging on. I need God to do something. Or maybe you've just gotten 
fractured friendships and other relationships, you just say, man, I wish God would set me free in these, in these things. I, I want you to know God has not designed you to experience relationships that are always hurtful, always oppressive, that are always in bondage. God has, has created us to live in, in harmony with other people, with Him, and in freedom. And so we're going to look at that today as we look at the Scripture. And, and it's, maybe, maybe you can relate to this. Uh, you've probably seen somebody or worked with somebody, I know I have, or been around somebody who is an expert on all the theories relating to what it is that you do. Some of you have worked in, in different industries or, or businesses or lines of work for a long time, and you've got lots of experience in that. You've seen and done about everything you can, and, and you, you know that uh, you know, certain things work, certain things don't. What's written in the book isn't always uh, you know, what, what's, what's right. And, and I, one aspect of this that's always funny to me, you ever known somebody who's, who's not a parent, but they think they're an expert on how to raise kids? You know somebody like that? You know, everybody, I, I think I probably was too. You know, I worked with kids and with young people for a long time before I was a parent. Now, I knew everything there was to know about kids and about parenting until I became a parent. Now, I don't know anything. I'll be honest with you. I don't know anything. I, I had the, the special privilege and opportunity this week to, uh, to experience life with Nancy out of town. <clears throat> and so she was at a pastor's wives conference. It was great. It was awesome. I'm glad she went. And, and yet I was there with all three kids for over 48 hours, me and them, by myself. And I think I won, I think, you know, I'm not sure, but it, it, it is amazing. You know, I, I'm certainly now, I'm no expert on parenting. I can give a little bit of advice from, you know, from time to time, but, I, you know, it, isn't it true, though, that a lot of times if we, just, if we just have theories and we've taken a class and we've done this, maybe you've seen that in somebody you work with. You know, they know all about your business. They know everything about what you're supposed to do, and they, and they talk like they've just read it in a book, and that's exactly the way it ought to work, and you just kind of sit back and laugh at them. You know, or, or, or maybe not laugh at them, but you put them straight. You know, that's the way it is. You just tell them, look, you, you can have all the theories in the world, but if it, doesn't, if it doesn't play out in the way you do things, it doesn't matter. Paul, I think... Uh, based upon what we looked at last week, the verses at the very end of chapter 5 in Galatians, he sort of gives the, the theory, here's how it's supposed to work. Here's, here's what life is supposed to be about, walking by God's Spirit, walking in step every moment of every day, just right in line with God's Spirit. And then he gets to chapter 6, and it's almost like he says, now wait a minute, before you think this is all just a bunch of theories you're supposed to go and talk about, this stuff's got to play out in real life. You know, the great thing about the Christian life is it doesn't take us to some alternate reality that has nothing to do with the life, the life that we live every single day. In fact, if that's the way that you approach the Christian life, then you're backwards. Because, in fact, God wants the Christian life to be lived out in, in everyday living. And so Paul's going to give us today, I think, very, just very practical. Here's, the way, here's one way that that living by the Spirit stuff is supposed to play out, and it's in your relationships. You cannot claim that you are living by the Spirit if all of your relationships are broken, if you're not pursuing any restoration anywhere. And so Paul's going to give us just some very practical things. And so these theories that, that maybe you've, you've thought about and all that stuff, they're not good enough. It's going to have to be played out in real life. So you got your Bible. Uh, turn with me to Galatians chapter 6. When we get to the particular verses, you'll see them on the screen today. Hopefully they'll be uh, large enough for everyone even toward the back, to be able to read. If you've got your Bible and want to follow along, then great. If not, they'll be on the screen behind me. I want to get very practical today. not going to try to spend a long, long time doing this uh, because I, I really think that, that once we see what Paul is saying, 
we'll realize that a couple of things are true. Number one, he's right. Uh, number two, I got something I need to go and do. That's just the way it is. I've got some business I got to take care of. And so I, I want to get to how right he is and then quickly get to here's what we need to go and do and, and then send you out and let's go do it. Okay, so that's, that's the practical nature of, of what we're looking at today. So uh, obviously anytime you, that you're right up close to something, it's tough to get some perspective on it. And so Paul's going to help us today kind of back away just a little bit, get a satellite view of our relationships and help us look at relationships maybe a little bit differently. You'll see on the back of your bulletin some ways that you can follow along. When we get to those parts, they'll show up on the screen behind me. And you can write those down maybe just as a reminder to you. I have just, uh, this, this is part of the reason why we put some notes there in a the bulletin. I still have, from my days in high school, through college and all the way up until today, I still have lots of little bulletins that I hung on to. And every once in a while, I kind of flip back through those and just say, you know, that's interesting. That's what I was learning back then. And boy, I still need to learn the same thing today. You know, that's just the way that I am. And, and, and so maybe that's something you can file away and, and, and God can take you back to it at, at some point. But we're going to look two ways of looking at relationships today. And, and first of all, uh, the, the first way to look at relationships is, is to look out. You'll see this on, on your bulletin. And, and Paul makes it clear. Look at, uh, first of all, it's looking out for those in need of restoration. Those in need of, of restoration. Look out for those in need of restoration. Look at, look at chapter 6, verse 1. Paul says here, he says, Brothers, if someone is caught in any wrongdoing, you who are spiritual should restore such a person with a gentle spirit, watching out for yourselves so that you won't be tempted also. It's, this is one of those, I think, very, very misunderstood verses and passages of Scripture. Paul says, look, if someone is caught in wrongdoing, or, or your, verse, your version may say, if someone is caught up in sin or caught up in, in, in something that's wrong, uh, Paul says you're to go to them and to restore them. Now, a lot of us would say, hey, that's my ministry. Let me sign up for that because i got some people I really need to set straight. I mean, if God's going to give me a free pass on this, I'm going to take it to the full degree. I'm going to tell them really where they need to be. Now, some of, us, some of us, we really haven't gotten a word from God on this, but that's our ministry anyway. Now, I know nobody in here is like that. So don't elbow anybody or look across and, you know, and kind of give them the eye. I know nobody in here, but obviously, you know, maybe some folks that couldn't be here today will think of them. How about that? They'll listen to the recording later on and know we were talking about them. Anyway, but, you know, some of us, we've taken this on as our ministry. And we do it, oh, I'm, I'm just restoring. But you know what we're doing is we're just telling people how wrong they are. We're just telling them really what we think. We just have a difference of opinion, and we're going to try to set them straight and get them on our side, thinking the way we think, talking the way we do, and all that kind of stuff. And, and I, I think Paul makes it clear here that, that not everyone needs restoration. Now, for some of us, that's a, that's a, a very revealing truth because we, just, we sit back and we think, you know, that person's wrong, and they're wrong, and they're wrong. Good grief, everybody's wrong. And so not everybody's in need of restoration. But if something is wrong, Paul makes it clear that, that it needs to be addressed. It, it, this word caught, they're caught in any wrongdoing. Basically, what Paul's saying there is that if someone is literally, you know what, they're found out. Something's come up, they've, they've been a part of something that's just not right, and he's speaking specifically about Christians, not about the rest of the world. He's talking about Christians, people who follow Jesus. And so if, if someone is literally, they've got some sin in their life, and it sort of comes to the surface, and we find out about it. Paul says, if, that, if that's the case, then, then it needs to be addressed. Or, he says, if, if there's this, this phrase, caught in any wrongdoing, can also mean they're just kind of overcome by it. I mean, it's just, it just has got them. 
You been there before? You, you, you know what I'm talking about? I know that, that we've got some super spiritual people here today. Maybe you've never been caught up in sin that you just can't get rid of. But for those of us that are real and human, I would say that, that we probably have all experienced this. We just say, I don't want to do that, but I, golly, I'm just caught up in it. I just can't stop saying this. I can't stop thinking this. I can't stop doing this. I'm just overcome by it. That's what Paul is talking about. So it's one of two things, and sometimes both. Either something comes to the surface, and you're just kind of aware of it. You've got a, a, a Christian brother or sister. It's just, eh, you know what, I've found some stuff out there. Just, golly, I hate that, but, but it's just wrong. Probably need to say something to them. Or you just realize, man... They are just overcome by this. And so Paul, that's who he's talking about. And, and so he, I think he makes it clear, if someone is called, we're not out seeking this stuff. And so if, if that's your ministry, is to go and find out what everybody else is doing wrong, I don't think God gives a whole lot of credence to that. If you, it, We're not seeking it, but we're sensitive to it. And so then if we find that out, if we discover, you know what, I think this person has fallen a little bit. I think they probably need some help to overcome this issue in their life. They've got some things. What then do we do? The word restore there, it says those who are spiritual should restore such a person. That's a medical term, uh, and it, 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 it has a connotation of setting a broken bone. And, and, and I don't know about you, but I'm, I'm, I thank God for doctors who know what they're doing. You, you know what I'm talking about? We've all experienced that, doctors who, who just know what they're doing. And, and you can self-diagnose all day long, but until you go to a doctor who knows what they're doing, you're not going to really know what's going on with you. You're not going to get the treatment that you need. But the flip side is there's a lot of doctors that don't know what they're doing. Nancy, and, and in a very serious way, Nancy has, I joke with her all the time, I say, you know, I, before I knew Nancy, I'd never, I'd never stayed overnight in a hospital, you know, except the time I was born. I don't remember that anyway. And so I'd never stayed overnight in a hospital. Since I met her, I've slept in probably seven or eight different hospitals. She's just in the hospital all the time. I'm like, my goodness. You know, it started back when we were in college, and many of you know Nancy was a cheerleader at Murray State, and she fell from a pyramid back in 1997 and, and, and raced her arena there and fell and, and fractured her skull. She spent two weeks in the hospital, and I was driving back and forth to Paducah every single day. And, and you know, that was the first hospital that I, that I slept in. There I was, you know, all curled up. You know, they make those seats so comfortable, too, for you to sleep in. And so there I was all curled up. Thank God I was young, you know, and I could stretch back out after I wouldn't want to do it anymore. But, but anyway, you know, and then, then, you know, it was just subsequent things. Over time, she, she was diagnosed later on with a very rare blood disorder. And it's since been taken care of and, and she, through some, some processes, and she's okay. But, but she was diagnosed with a rare blood disorder. It was interesting how when we, when we saw different doctors, it became very clear which ones knew what they were doing and which ones didn't. And we had one doctor for about a year who just didn't know what he was doing. And it became a very serious situation, life-threatening situation for her. And we just finally, we prayed, God, lead us to a doctor who knows what he's talking about. And it was amazing. When we got with a doctor who knew what he was doing, who, who had done his research, who knew the, the, the disorder that she had, and, and, and just was able to give her the right treatment, the right suggestions, the right, the right plan to make it work. It's amazing when a doctor knows what they're doing. They can restore things. I believe when Paul used this medical term of restoring, he, he implies, isn't it great when Christian people who love one another know what they're doing when they approach each other to try to restore each other? You've probably experienced somebody who really didn't know what they were doing. They just thought they needed to set you straight. And that is a very tough experience. But thank God for people who genuinely, out of love, Restore one another. Help to hold each other up. 
just like a doctor who knows what they're doing. Paul says, if anyone is caught in wrongdoing, you who are spiritual. Now, let me stop for just a second on this. I am not the only, nor am I always the, the most spiritual person in this church. Okay? It's a newsflash for some of you. That, that some of you, you know, were, were falling asleep there for just a second. All of a sudden, you woke up. Because, wait a minute. The pastor is not the only, nor always the most spiritual person in the whole church. Okay, let it sink in for just a second. Which means this, okay? That, all that means this. That you are also a spiritual person if you're walking with God. So what does that mean? Paul says, you who are spiritual. So that's not just me. Guess what? When we see people who are in need of restoration, you know whose job, not, it's not, not only whose job it is, not only my job to help to restore people, it's also those who are spiritual. Paul doesn't use the word pastor here. doesn't say if you see someone who's fallen, go call the pastor. doesn't say if you see someone who's fallen, just drag them to church and a pastor will fix them. Now, I'm all for trying to help out. Don't take me the wrong way. But isn't it, isn't it interesting how a lot of times we sort of overlook, wait a minute, maybe this is my responsibility. Maybe this is my opportunity as well. So it's not just for ministers or pastors. This is what all Christians do. This is what we're all focused on is restoring. And so I, I think in, in this, and it's interesting to me always when I think about, well, okay, God, who is it? Who, who, who do I need to help restore? Who do I need to help build back up? Who do I need to help get on their feet? I, I, I rarely, I rarely think of anyone but sort of the crowd. But to be honest with you, I, I think of myself standing here and looking out and glancing back and forth as I do and thinking, okay, well, God, who is it out there that, that I need to help? And, and, and that, that may be true. And maybe you think in the same terms, well, God, who, out there, who is it that I need to help? But I have to admit that my attention this week has been turned to who is it that's close to me? Who is it in my family? Who is it in my close circle of friends that I need to help restore? Who is it in my family that maybe is just overcome by something that I can be God's tool to help build them back up, that I can be His hands and feet for them? And, and maybe it's that person that God has given you to restore. Now, here's the hard part of that. If we focus on those people that are close to us, we're probably going to try to, we're going to be forced to help restore people who've hurt us. People who we don't really want to forgive because they've said some things that, you know what, they, they meant it. They know us, and when they said that, they know us, and they meant it. Try to restore somebody like that, it's going to require a little bit out of you. Quickly, as we move through this, trust me, we'll camp out here for the most part, and then we'll move on quickly. I didn't plan a, a four-hour sermon. Even though Louisville's not playing this afternoon, they'll be playing this coming weekend. But anyway, um, they are playing this way. I don't want you to miss that. Now, I know that... <clears throat> anyway, anyway. I, I, you know, some folks told me... Now, I'll be, I'll be honest with you. We'll take commercial break here for just a second. Some folks told me that, that you know what, you ought to rub it in this morning. And, and other folks, you could just tell by the look on their face, they're just like, don't say a word. Back to Galatians. So anyway, <clears throat> there's your commercial break. How about that? What's required when, you, when, you're, when you're approaching someone and you say, you know, I, oh, I feel like I need to do something for this person. They seem to be caught up in this. And, 
what's required, I think Paul makes it clear that humility is required. We're not any better than them, and one day we might need restoration as well, that, that the pursuit is for restoration, not just to be right. You, you, you've been in relationships like that where somebody, they, they really don't care if, if things are made right, they just want to be right. Well, that's tough. Paul's, Paul's path here is that we're on the path to pursue restoration, to make things right, not just to be right. It's also required as forgiveness because that person we're restoring may have just hurt us. Maybe we're the person God will use to help them, but it's going to take forgiveness. Also, confidentiality. That means we're not talking about it to anybody else. You know, when we restore someone, it's between us, them, and God. That's it. There's no gossip. There's no spreading. There's no saying, you know what? I think I need to do something about this, so let me get about ten people together and talk about it and figure out what I ought to do. Sometimes you ought to get good advice, and sometimes we just ought to say, you know what, I know what God wants me to do. I'm going to keep it between me, them, and God. I think it, it's, obviously, Paul makes it clear, you who are spiritual. It's done by somebody who's walking in step with God's Spirit and genuinely led by Him. As I said, not everybody needs restoration. This is not just uh, you know, uh, focusing on a difference of opinion. You're going to try to talk somebody in. It's focusing on they've done something wrong. There's some sin there, gentleness. I, I think also awareness is another thing because he says, watch out for yourselves so that you're not tempted also. I, I want to take a sidetrack for just a second and say this. I, I think that there ought to be in our lives, if we, are, if we are going to be able to give any solid ground to help someone get back up, there ought to be some parameters that we put in place in our own lives to keep us from falling into the sin that we're trying to correct in somebody else. Uh, let, me, let me give you a very practical example of this. There are, there are some parameters that I have put in place in my life as a pastor that are non-negotiables for me. And, and they involve things like this. I will not, under any circumstance whatsoever, I will not, by myself, alone, counsel a woman. Not going to happen. I will not do it. Now, some of you say, well, good grief. You know, that's just, what if somebody just shows up? Not going to happen. Not going to do it. I'm going to either call my wife, I'm going to call a lady in the church and say, can you come just sit? You don't have to say anything, I just want you to be there. So I'm not going to put myself in that position because it's a very vulnerable position. Talking about somebody pouring their heart out to you, you know what I'm talking about. I will not ride in a car alone with a woman other than my wife. It's not going to happen. And so if, if, somebody, if, if, if there's a lady here who needs a ride, you know what, I'll be happy to find you one. And I'll, I'll, we'll, we'll sit right out there in front of the church until your ride gets here. But I love you, but I, I'm not going to put you or me in that position. not going to happen. And there are just certain things that, that are in place. They're just non-negotiables. And, and, and I think that, that principle tr- transfers to a lot of other areas of life, not just in those situations. But Paul says, be wise. Don't be foolish thinking you can't fall as well. Set up some parameters. Watch out for yourself. Maybe in your own life you just say, you know what, I, there's some parameters I probably need to put up because I'm trying to help this person get through this, but I'm now kind of feeling tempted toward that as well. What's going on? And so Paul makes it clear, looking out for those in need of restoration. And I think also this, verse 2 makes it clear, looking out for those who have too much to carry. Look at verse 2. Carry one another's burdens. In this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. Talking about pursuing healthy and free relationships, we've got to look out for those people in need of restoration and also look out for those who have too much to carry. These people are just, they're oppressed by the temptations of life. They're, they're depressed by just life's struggles and all that. We see those people. We know those people. My heart breaks for you if that's you. I know I've been there before. You're just kind of overcome by things. Life has just gotten you down. We, when we do this, when we help those who have too much to carry, carry one another's burdens, we're sympathizing with those people just during their general trials of life. And we're ready to give them comfort, ready to give them counsel, give them some help, some assistance, whatever they may need. 
And in so doing, the great news is when you do that, when you just talk to somebody and say, you know what, I know life's got you down, how can I help? When you do something specifically, maybe, maybe a very tangible thing that you do something for somebody to, to assist them in their time of need, you are fulfilling, the Bible says, the law of Christ, which is what? Love your neighbor as yourself. That's the law of Christ as it relates to other people. And so he says, if you do those things, you will fulfill the law of Christ. So that's expected of all believers. It's, it's like that song, he ain't heavy, he's my brother. You know what I'm talking about. Maybe you've heard that song. And we, we, we just realize that when we see people as God sees them, when we're fulfilling the law of Christ, then, then that person's, man, they're not heavy. That's my brother. That's my sister. I'm okay with helping them out. I can carry their burdens because you know what? I now see them as God sees them. If we take on the, the habits, the attitude of Christ, it then becomes a joy to help others get through life. You ever notice somebody who just loves to help people get through life? I mean, they, they, a lot of times they just seem like, you know, they're taking on everybody's burdens. They're going to help them, but they're just full of joy. You know why? Because they have taken on the mind and the attitude of Christ, and then he ain't heavy. He's my brother. You know, she ain't heavy. She's my sister. I can help her get through life. So for those who have too much to carry. So the first thing that, that Paul challenges us to do is to look out for those in need of restoration, for those who have too much to carry. And then we'll close with this. Paul also then directs us, Two ways of looking at relationships. Look out and then look in. Look in. And, and he challenges us in verse 3 to avoid conceit. Avoid conceit. Look at it, if you will, in, in verse 3. For if anyone considers himself to be something when he is nothing, he is deceiving himself. Now, we, we might say, well, good grief, that's kind of harsh. Paul's basically saying, look, just understand that you are not any more important than you really are. Don't have a higher view of yourself than you ought. Remember that you are vulnerable too. That it's only by the grace of God that you have not fallen in the same way. It's only by the grace of God that you are not depressed by life and have so many things going on. It's the same as the person you're trying to help. He also reminds us we're not above forgiveness. We don't get to carry a chip on our shoulder. Some of us would say, but you don't know my story. I get to sit over here in the past group because I get a pass for forgiveness because I've been hurt so much. I understand that. We've talked about this a little bit before, several months ago. If we, if we ever think that we get a pass on forgiveness, what we need to do then is take all that stuff that's happened to us, pile it all up, talk to God about it, then go read the New Testament and understand that God, if anybody, deserves a pass on forgiveness and He Himself forgives over and over and over and over again and then challenges us. In the same way that I have forgiven you, He says, you ought to forgive other people. And so that's a pretty high standard. You know what? God set a pretty high standard. His level of forgiveness is unbelievable. And if we're going to match His, then forgiveness has got to be that we don't, we don't get a pass on that. We're not above carrying someone else's load or helping to restore, get somebody back on their feet. We're not above or exempt from the law of Christ. We have, Paul is making it clear, no right to condemn someone else. So avoid conceit. Secondly, avoid comparison. Avoid comparison. Some of us are bound up by this, I'm convinced. Paul says in verse 4, but each person should examine his own work and then he will have a reason for boasting in himself alone and not in respect to someone else. Avoid comparison. I, I think comparison, when we look at other people, it masks our own unhealthiness. You ever been to the gym or somewhere like that, and you, you kind of look around, and you, you're kind of working hard a little bit, and then you see somebody else, you say, well, you know, I'm, I'm in better shape than they are. 
You know, you can back off a little bit. You know, no big deal. You know, they made me feel good about myself. Yeah, I appreciate you being here today. Thank you very much. You know, you made me feel better about the way that I am, the way I feel, the way I look, and all of that. I mean, aren't we like that? Don't we compare ourselves over and over? I mean, on appearance, what you wear, how you look, what your hair looks like or doesn't look like, or whatever, you know? I mean, we compare all the time. And we compare in every area of life. How much money you got? What kind of car you drive? Where, where you live? You know, how, how long you've been at your job, what kind of life you have in retirement, all those kind of things. We compare all the time. I, I really think that if there's anything in life that it maybe is one of Satan's great, great tricks is to get us to do this, to compare all the time, to look at somebody else and say, well, I ain't nearly as bad as they are. Whew, thank God. I'm not as bad as that person. As if we've, we've done something because we're not as bad as this person. You know, it's like going to the gym and you see somebody who's just not in very good shape. And so I'm not as bad as him. Well, good grief. You know, I, I'm glad, but at the same time, you know what? I, I, what if on the inside of me, if I look at somebody and, say, and, and just by appearance, so I, I think I might be in better shape than they are. I have no idea really what's going on in my heart, literally my physical heart. I don't know. If I've been to the doctor to check that out, I don't know. I can look at somebody else and, and they may have the appearance of being more unhealthy than I am, but I could very well be more unhealthy than they are. Does it make sense? Well, just by, by merely looking at someone, you can't gauge that. And, and, and we see ourselves, uh, we, we often, as the Bible refers, Jesus says, we see the log in someone else's eye, uh, or excuse me, the speck in someone else's eye, but can't see the log sticking out of our own eye. We're always comparing ourselves to someone else. Paul says, examine your own work. So it, it masks our unhealthiness. We look at everybody else, well, I'm not as bad as them, but there might be some stuff going on inside of me. You know, I don't want to talk about that, but I'm not as bad as them. I think it also creates jealousy and a, de and a desire for others to fail. Maybe you've been here. In all areas of life, I think this is true. In work, uh, maybe, maybe on the farm, maybe in sports, maybe in school, maybe in your family. We're worried that we won't be noticed. We're worried that we'll be forgotten, that we'll be surpassed. And so we, we, we don't really count the accomplishments of others. In fact, we're a little bit jealous of them. We just assume they fall flat on their face. We don't want anybody else to be successful at work because then I might not get my promotion. I'm going to get my raise. We don't want anybody else to have a good crop because, well, then I might not be looked at as being a successful farmer as maybe I once was. We, we don't want anybody else's kids to really do well because, well, then my kids aren't going to get the recognition they deserve. You know, I have to admit that when I played baseball at Murray State, and, and I've now since obviously moved on and I'm no longer in playing shape, but I, I, I look at the record books, and, and I, I have to admit to you that um, – that sometimes I've been jealous of the guys who followed me and broke a couple of records that I set. I have to be honest with you. And those records weren't anything great. It just meant that I showed up every day and played. I mean, that was all, you know, that was just the way it was. I had played the most games, had the most at-bats. Okay, big deal. But I'll be honest with you, I've battled that in the last 10 years since I've been out of school. And you may say, well, that's just dumb. Sure it is. But that's just where, it's where I've been. How about that? Because those guys have surpassed what I did. I'm, I'm moving down the list every single year. And eventually, those top six or seven people that they list, Brad Burns will not be on that list anymore eventually. You know what? As I move down that, that all-time hits list, whoa, big deal. Eventually, I'll be moved off that list. You know, that's, a, that's been a battle for me in a very real way. And, and I've realized that, you know what, what I'm doing is just comparing myself to someone else. That really, nobody cares about that comparison to begin with because those guys are just out to play ball. They don't care who I am. They've, they've forgotten me a long time ago anyway. 
But boy, when we compare ourselves, it creates in us some jealousy toward other people and almost a desire for them to fail. I think it also creates a very negative image of ourselves. And, and, and I mean this. When we compare ourselves to others and we say, well, they've got more than I do. They're better than I am. They, they walk with God more than I do. They, so on and so forth. We, we often overlook how God has blessed us and gifted us specific, specifically. I really believe this. I really believe we've got some people today who said, you know, I've been comparing myself over and over, and, I, and all I've been doing is beating myself down. Today, your eyes need to be open to how God has blessed and gifted you specifically for right where you are in life. One of the things that Nancy took away from this pastor's wives conference this weekend uh, and, and just reiterated the truth that we both believed was that God has you where you are right now for a reason and doesn't want anybody else there. He has you right where you are right now for a reason. He doesn't want anybody else there. Now, think about that in your own life. I mean, I translated it to, okay, here I am at Elm Grove for this time, right now for this purpose, whatever God wants, and there's nobody else God wants here. But in your life, what is it? I mean, think about your situation. I mean, God has you right where He wants you for a specific reason, and He doesn't want anybody else where you are. How would that change your perspective? I mean, how would you look then at how God has gifted you to fulfill that ministry, that responsibility, that role, that job, whatever it is, right where you are right now, because that's where God wants you and doesn't want anybody else there? How, how would that change the way you looked at other people? You'd probably say, you know, I don't care what everybody else is doing. God has me right here, right now, for a specific purpose, and He doesn't want anybody else here. That changes the ball game. And that's the truth. Because when we compare ourselves to others, we ignore how God has blessed us specifically and gifted us. And, and how do you remedy that? How do you avoid comparison? Well, it's very simple. You measure yourself and you compare yourself only with God's standard and with His Word. I think both the requirements of God's standard live this way and then also the encouragement of His Word. That you are a child of God just as much as anybody else is a child of God. You don't have to receive the lies of comparison. There's tremendous freedom in measuring yourself only by God's standard. And Paul finally closes with this. He says, embrace accountability. Embrace accountability. Verse 5 says this, For each person will have to carry his own load. And when you read this passage of Scripture all together, verses 1 through 5, this doesn't make any sense at all. Because he says in verse 2, carry one another's burdens. Then in verse 5, for each person will have to carry his own load. What in the world does that mean? He just said one time, everybody's supposed to pitch in and help. Then he said, wait a minute, don't get any help. Don't help anybody else. Everybody's on their own. But that's not really what he's saying. He compares this, the words he uses there, uh, for carrying one of those burdens like a really heavy load that one person can't carry by themselves. Each person should have to carry his own load. It's like carrying a backpack. That's what you're supposed to carry, your own pack full of stuff, supplies through life. That's, what you're, that's how you're going to make it. So if you get that visual in your mind, there's two different things. One is these huge burdens that nobody can carry by themselves, and life has just gotten them down and beaten them down over and over. We need some help with that stuff. The other fact is this, and also true, that if we embrace accountability, we realize, you know what? I will stand before God for me, no one else. I will stand before God and give an account for my life. Nobody else can be blamed. I can't blame my parents. I can't blame my childhood. I can't blame my boss. I can't blame my wife, my husband, my kids, my grandkids. I can't blame anybody else. I cannot blame anybody. I have to be accountable and take responsibility for my life. Imagine how different all of our relationships would be if each person in relationship did this one simple thing. Just embrace accountability. I will do my part. I will be responsible for me. 
How many people grow up, and, and we see it all the time, and constantly shift blame and responsibility and accountability to somebody else to a situation that happened 30 years ago? I mean, you know people like this. They're probably sitting next to you somewhere else, but they're probably sitting next to you. Maybe live with those people. Maybe you are that person, and you just say, you know what, that's me. I'm always blaming somebody else. I don't take responsibility for me and my emotions and my actions and so on. You are accountable before God for you. That means there's no blame game. That means there's no chip on your shoulder that gets to stay there. That means that you must do your part. I must do my part. I have to carry my own pack. We'll give an account of ourselves. The Bible makes it clear in heaven. And that translates, you know what, we ought to start now. I'm going to give an account of mine. I'm going to be responsible for myself. Here's the overarching truth today that that I think will will ultimately set us free in our relationships, and it's this. Life without chains is possible. When you have an accurate view of yourself and you know your responsibility to others, you have an accurate view of yourself. You don't think more highly of yourself, but you understand I am not to be compared with anybody but God's standard, and He loves me. And he gives me another chance. An accurate view of yourself. And my responsibility to others is to look out for those who need restoration. I'm going to help them get back on their feet. And for those who have too much to carry on their own. And I'm going to walk through life with them. The main relationship, obviously, for all of us that needs to be set straight, that maybe somebody today just needs to get right, is that with Jesus Christ. Because there's no doubt that if your relationship with Jesus Christ is not right then none of your other relationships are going to amount to enough to make that first relationship right. They really don't matter unless your relationship with Jesus is right. So maybe today somebody just says, you know what, that's great. I understand you're talking about people relationships, but i got to get right with God. Today maybe is your opportunity to be set free from some stuff. And I, I think also that, those, that that relationship obviously then extends to our human relationships and and I, I want to close with, with this particular song that I will not sing. Maybe you know the words. The road is long with many a winding turn that leads, that leads us to who knows where, who knows where. But I'm strong, strong enough to carry him. And he ain't heavy. And he's my brother. So on we go. His welfare is of my concern. No burden is he to bear. We'll get there. For I know he would not encumber me. He ain't heavy. He's my brother. If I'm laden at all, I'm laden with sadness. That everyone's heart isn't filled with a gladness of love for one another. It's a long, long road from which there is no return. While we're on the way to there, why not share? And the load doesn't weigh me down at all. He ain't heavy. He's my brother. He's my brother. He ain't heavy. He's my brother. Maybe you knew those words. Maybe you didn't. But isn't it interesting how those great theologians put it into perspective for us? Maybe today you say, you know, I I realize that I feel like my relationship with the Lord is okay, but I know there's there's another relationship in my life that's got to be restored. There's somebody whose burdens I need to help carry. There's somebody in my life that I know I need to go to and forgive and help restore them. And I want to do it with joy. He ain't heavy. He's my brother. 
I want to be unburdened by all this. I want to live in relationships that are free. Maybe you need to make that right today. I'm convinced. Convinced you're not here by accident. And I'm convinced that maybe in your life there's a relationship, even with somebody in this room. Or maybe somebody when you go home or work tomorrow that you just say, I just want to make it right. You know what? It doesn't matter. I don't care who's right and who's wrong. I just want to make it right. Let's, let's restore this relationship. Let me help you carry that load through life. You know what? I, I'm not going to be conceited anymore and think I'm above this. I'm not going to compare myself. Anymore. I'm just, we're just going to make it right. And maybe you need to go to that person even before we leave today. I don't know. And just say, you know what? I need your forgiveness. Or, hey, I know there's something between us. Can we talk? Can we pray together? Or maybe you just say, before any of that stuff happens, you know what, I'm going to pray with with the person who's with me today. And we're going to pray that God would would not let these things happen to us. God wants your relationships to be whole. He wants them to be complete. He wants wants them to be full of freedom. And my prayer is that you let him help you today. Let him help you make those things right. And so as we close here in just a moment, the challenge will be this. As I said, we learn that Paul's right. He's Pretty clear, he's right today. And then what do we go and do? Well, if somebody needs to be restored, do it gently. Pursue restoration, not just being right. If somebody needs a load to be carried that they just are overcome by, you know what? Go talk with them. Help them through life. Give them something they need to make it through, if that's what it is. And then in your own life, look in to say, you know what? I'm not going to be above these things. I'm going to do the dirty work in life that helps people. And I'm not going to compare myself anymore according to anything else but God's standard. That's what I'm going to live by. And, and, then, and then finally, I'm going to be responsible for me. I'm going to do my part in every relationship. And that may then translate to you talking with somebody here today, even before you leave, or when you get home, or you make a phone call, or whatever it is you do. That's what we need to go and do. That's what will set us free in our relationships. And that's my prayer for us. Won't you pray with me as we close? God, thank you for your word. Thank you for being right. And Lord, I pray that that you take the words that uh, that come out of a human mouth and that you would sink them deep into our spirits. May they be from you. And God, I pray that you would heal and restore and mend relationships today. God, I pray for the marriages that are holding on by a thread. Maybe nobody knows about it. Maybe we would be shocked. God, I pray that you would give us the strength, the courage, the humility that it takes to say, let's make things right. Let's do it God's way. Lord, for other relationships that are just broken, just hurting today, in need of repair, in need of restoration, God, help us, if need be, to get out of our seat and go talk to somebody. To pray with somebody. To to ask for forgiveness. To extend forgiveness. Whatever it may be. God, make us people that are concerned about restoring and helping folks to get back on their feet. That Make us people that will carry each other's burdens to help us get through life. Make us people that are humble. That compare ourselves only with your standard. God, make us people that are accountable for what we do. God, thank you for setting us free in our relationships. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.